being able to embrace the oddity of what we do when we gather is not sacrilegious. But being able to embrace the weird and say like, look, yeah, we're different. We're distinct. And sometimes it might be awkward. Sometimes it might be uncomfortable. But in those moments, there's opportunities for humor. And humor can bring people in instead of driving people out. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke, one of the co-hosts, and with me is Shelly Riggs-Jordan. How are you doing, Shelly? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? Doing okay, doing okay. Looking forward to conversing about today's topic, which is comedy, comedy in congregational life. We've got a good interview coming up in a little bit with Dr. Jason Duman, who's a pastor and did his doctoral dissertation about this. But before we get there, just curious, I don't know about you, Shelly, I have not had a lot of congregations come to me in my time here at the Center for Congregations asking about comedy resources. So (laughs) I don't know if you've had that experience or just what are maybe some of your thoughts? I mean, you've been a practitioner in congregational space for many, many years. So just any thoughts or reflections on how you've experienced comedy in congregational life? Yeah, I haven't had anybody come to me and ask for resources on this either. But I think for me, I've been thinking about this. The only real interaction with comedy seems to be when people want to go see a Christian comedian like Tim Hawkins or, Mm -hmm. you know, bring somebody into their congregation to put on like a comedy show. But I don't think I have ever heard anyone talk about incorporating comedy and kind of exploring that intersection with comedy and community. So Mm -hmm. I am fascinated by the idea though. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say comedy when it comes to Christianity is kind of sacrilegious mm-hmm. to some extent, like there's sacred things you can't touch, but I don't know. I think it begs the question, are there? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it is a good question. And it's interesting in the tradition that I grew up in, and I talk about this a little bit in the interview, comedy was very much as you described it, that, you know, there's a Christian comedian who's there for entertainment purposes. But I was at a conference where people were reading scholarly papers that they had written about various things in relation to, I believe it was literature and theology, and came across one presenter who had talked about a tradition that I had never heard of growing up in the Protestant church, but it was the tradition of the holy fool. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Yeah, it was this type of clergy person, I believe it was, maybe in the medieval period, and I could be getting this completely wrong, so friends who are in those traditions who know this better than I do, please feel free to correct me, and I will make sure to air those corrections on the next (laughs) podcast. But no one was really sure if they were not quite right or whether they were doing what they were doing purposefully, but I remember vividly one person talking about someone who was a holy fool in that tradition that it was on a Friday during Lent, and as people were filing into 
the worship space, he was just blatantly eating a ring of sausages around his neck and just kind of grinning at people as they came in. And I can't remember the precise point, but there was some point about hypocrisy that was being made in that action. And so, yeah, there was this tradition of the holy fool that is out there, I believe, in the Roman Catholic space. And it might even be in the Orthodox space, depending on when that was tradition. So there are elements, right, of absurdity in certain faith traditions that some of us are not aware of, but that are really, really interesting. Well, yeah, I'm sure if you are a Catholic person walking into the sanctuary for Mass on a Friday during Lent and your priest is eating pork, that might stop you short. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hey, wait. (laughs) Yeah. I also found it interesting that we didn't talk about this during the interview, but it seems that comedians in our current culture, and maybe this was true earlier, I don't know, and maybe I've just become aware of it, but they seem to be almost playing a prophetic role. And before anybody thinks I'm being blasphemous, <laughs> I understand that a lot of the comedians out there, you know, it's not as if they are espousing Christian virtues, but prophetic in the sense that they are using their comedy to point out problematic elements of our society. And I think of Dave Chappelle as one of those people. I think of John Oliver and The Daily Show back with John Stewart and now currently with Trevor Noah. They are using comedy, but to be able to dialogue about serious issues that are happening in society. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder about congregations being a place where we can begin to leverage that in the way that it's being leveraged in other spaces because it's being leveraged for them to speak their truths about how they see what's happening in the world. Yeah, I think you're onto something because when I was looking for resources to give to folks around this topic, that's what kept coming up was research into persuasive effects of social issues, like how Hmm. comedians are really tackling that in a way that nobody else is. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. So maybe it means I actually had a thought that was somewhat good. Awesome. It was a fantastic (laughs) thought, Matt. A fantastic thought. (laughs) Cool. Well, hey, rather than Shelly and I talking more about our thoughts on it, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Dr. Jason Doom. And he's the lead pastor of Creekside Church, which is located in the state of Washington, the Pacific Northwest. And as I mentioned, he did his doctoral dissertation on comedy and congregational life, and also the idea of comedy and tragedy, which we don't touch on in this conversation. But I am going to link to his dissertation in the show notes as well, just because I think if you're interested in this topic and diving deeper, you know, a dissertation would be a great place to do that, along with additional resources that we will talk about on the other side of this. So Shelly and I will get out of your way. And here is our interview with Dr. Jason Dew. everyone. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Jason Duman, who is the lead pastor of Creekside Church. Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm really curious as we get started where your interest in comedy came from. Was that something from a young age or something kind of in your teen years? Yeah. Well, I grew up in the church and my parents brought home a Mark Lowry cassette. Yes. And Mark Lowry is a Christian comedian who wrote parody songs. So like a weird owl, but with Christian lyrics. And so <laughs> like he had a song about plastic surgery set to Michael W. Smith's place in this world, but it was called my face in this world. And so, yeah, I mean, I probably listened to that album 
on my own like a hundred times. And I was like, this guy is so funny because he would tell his jokes and his stories about growing up in church and people loved, like you could hear like the laughter on the tape and then he would sing a song and then go to a different story. And I was like, I love this. This is so great. And so I just started with Mark Lowry is the main guy. And then later in life, he's singing with the Gaithers as part of their homecoming band. And it's like, how did you make this journey? I don't understand all of it. But yeah, so Mark Lowry was the starting point. And then my dad is one of the funniest people in the world, in my opinion. And I don't know if he knows how funny he is, but I think he's hilarious. But he always was a person who never took himself too seriously and was willing to tell a story, willing to tell a joke. And I have never met anybody who didn't like my dad. And so it's like, oh, so if you want to make friends, tell jokes, tell stories. Mm -hmm. And so like, I picked it up from my dad pretty early. Like, no, humor is a valuable thing. And as long as you're willing to not take yourself too seriously, it's a great thing. It's just a characteristic. And then Monty Python in junior high, like totally blew my mind. Yes. And my friends and I would just, Steven and Ryan, we would just quote Monty Python during all of our drama classes in junior high. And it was like, this is, this is the best. And so, yeah. So making friends laugh, making people laugh and just enjoying the storytelling of it all really roped me in to comedy. Nice. Yeah, and that ultimately led to the topic, or at least a part of the topic of your doctoral dissertation. And it was so fun to come across that in some of my research, because in my experience, congregational life is typically not a place where there's a whole lot of comedy. I mean, we have our Christian comedians, you know, pastors sometimes make jokes depending on their personality. Mm -hmm. But in general, the tone and feel and subject matter of the way that I grew up was not really amenable to comedy. And so I'm just absolutely fascinated by how you see a connection between comedy and how important it can be for congregational life. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I could talk a lot about it because <laughs> awesome. I wrote a dissertation about it. Um, <laughs> I think that Jesus is much more playful than people give him credit for. And one of the things I appreciate about the show, The Chosen, is that Jesus smiles. Mm. Like I watched so many Jesus movies growing up. He didn't seem very happy about anything. And so seeing Jesus as a fully human person, he's perfectly God, perfectly human, then he must have laughed and had fun. And we only have a little bit of time captured in the gospels for Jesus's life, but he is so much more than what was captured in the gospels. And so Hmm. seeing Jesus as a person who is playful, kind of opened up a opportunity for me to think about the gospels in a different way. And like, it's a message of hope. And one of the beautiful things about comedy is the opportunity to see the absurdity of the world pointed out and recognize that there is a better path. There's a different way to go. And you can communicate that as you better turn or burn. Or you can say, man, can I tell you about the joy that I have in Christ? Can I tell you about how he has changed me and invite people into that opportunity to to be transformed by joy instead of living in fear? Hmm. And you know, I, my church was a Pentecostal church growing up, and so there was there was weird stuff in my church. <laughs> so that also helped me to kind of just see. And I'm still part of a Pentecostal denomination, and so I say this as somebody on the inside who loves my tribe, right? But there were weird things about our church and looking around and recognizing that when 
Brother Claire was walking up from the back to the front, like he's about to give a prophecy. And I know exactly how he's going to start every time. And that made me laugh. <laughs> like those kinds of things. Like I know what's going to happen. And it's odd. And being able to embrace the oddity of what we do when we gather is not sacrilegious. But being able to embrace the weird and say like, look, yeah, we're different. We're distinct. And sometimes it might be awkward. Sometimes it might be uncomfortable. But in those moments, there's opportunities for humor. And humor can bring people in instead of driving people out. Yeah. But I started doing comedy stuff with our church when we were going to go to two services. And I was the executive pastor. So I was on the teaching team. But I had never done two services. I'd never repeated a sermon. You know, you just preach it once and go on to the next one. And so the idea of doing two services on the same day with the same material was scary to me. And I didn't know if I could do it. And so I was like, how do I build that muscle? And so I started going to open mics because comedians write jokes. They tell the same jokes over and over and over again, and it stays fresh. And trying to figure out how to keep the thing fresh was a part of the process for me. And so the first night I went to an open mic, there was a person who was unloading some of their emotional baggage and it was not going well when they were doing it. And uh, it was just, it was sad. It was like, this is actually really painful. But the very next person did a lot of the same kind of work in a way where they're sharing what they're really struggling with and their real weaknesses, their failures, all in like five minutes. And they were killing. And so part of it as well was like, how do you get to that level of honesty where it's not about just be sad for me and my attempts at jokes, but like to say like, look, I know I'm not alone here. Like my struggles are your struggles and bringing people in through that in a a way of connecting with one another. And so that kind of opened the research avenue for me was like, there's something happening here in comedy beyond just setup punchline. There's a whole social dynamic at work. Yeah. So that sent me down many years of research and dissecting jokes and figuring out why is this funny? (laughs) which is still fun for me after all those years. So That's fascinating. You're learning to tell your story in a way that people connect. Yeah. You know, how many times do you make people laugh and then you hit them with the truth and they're like, oh. Right. Because I think you're more open when you're laughing. Yeah. Humor disarms. And the power of a well-timed joke, people buy in to the premise and then you have the opportunity to reveal the truth. And so Jesus did this and his imagery throughout the gospels, there's funny things happening. And so the most obvious one is the plank eye, Yes. right? Well, you go around and say, brother, you got a speck in your eye all the while ignoring the plank in yours <laughs> that's sticking out of your eye. And that image of just somebody with like a two by four sticking out of their eye is <laughs> ridiculous. And Jesus, you know, we say he's a carpenter. He's a builder of some sort. Like I can imagine him like, building, doing something with like wood and talking and giving this teaching and somebody complaining to somebody. And and he's like, Hey, you're not as good as you think you are either. (laughs) Like I've got a thing in my eye. And the imagery of that story, thinking about the harm then of like hitting people with the plank (laughs) that you're pretending isn't there. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Don't worry about it. And like the people would have been laughing, but at the same time, like kind of going like "Uh, a little too close, Jesus. 
I know sometimes I think when we retell his stories or when we talk about them, I wonder if Jesus isn't like, oh, that was sarcasm. Like you're supposed to laugh. Don't take that so seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my favorite thing that I think is often misread in the gospels, and we're recording as we're approaching Easter, when Jesus encounters Mary in the garden after the resurrection and he comes up to her, she's crying and a person speaks to Mary and says, why are you crying? Why are you upset? And she thinks it's the gardener. And I think that Jesus is pranking her. <laughs> like, well, woman, why are you so sad? And like covering his voice and, and then just like, do you know where his body is? And she's weeping and stuff. And his response in the text, it just says, Mary. And she recognizes who he is. And I have decided that I'm going to read that the rest of my life as Mary, it's me. <laughs> and that's why she turns around. She rejoices like, oh, it is you. And she recognizes who it is. And like that little moment in the garden is, is a joke. It's humor. It's funny. And it's a moment that should be filled with joy. But too often we read it as just Jesus saying, Mary, why don't you recognize me? Like, like almost like judging her. And it's like, no, Jesus has radically changed the world. <laughs> and he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And he knew later that day, he's going to teleport into a locked room. He's going to have the time of eternity here, pranking these disciples. A week later, he's going to do it again. And Thomas will be there. And he's like, hey, I heard you've been talking about me. You want to put your hand in my side? You know, like, it's pretty funny. (laughs) I think it's hilarious that Jesus is just pranking the disciples on the way to Emmaus. Like, oh, what happened in Jerusalem? I don't know anything about this. It's funny. <laughs> Let Jesus be playful. It's true. I never thought about that. I mean, boom, he pops into a locked room. You're probably not going to be like, hey, yeah. after your heart goes out of your throat <laughs> and you scream. And yeah. Yeah. And he says, fear not. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a good indicator that they were afeared. Afeared. <laughs> so, yeah, I love how it seems that a part of this is reclaiming some of the humanity of Jesus that we potentially have lost in some of our faith traditions. Mm-hmm that throughout Christianity, it's hard to find that balance of emphasis between fully God and fully human. And so we tend to err in one direction or the other. And it feels like you're working at reclaiming a big part of what it means for him to be fully human, which also for me, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, you can speak to it, but it it helps me feel better about me being human. Mm, Yeah. I think part of the tension that I have with like even the image of the hypostatic union, right? The fully human, fully God is... I don't know what it means to be fully human because mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And often we have a sense of shame around our humanity that we try to hide. And so even if we are being fully human as best we can, we are not good examples of what humanity is. And so part of the way I talk about that at our church is I don't say fully human, fully God. I say perfectly human and perfectly God. Mm-hmm. And so he shows us what it means to be perfectly human. And so full, whole, complete, that's perfection. And trying to get our brains around the perfection of humanity in Christ, because I can't ever be perfectly God, but I can strive to be more like Jesus in his humanity. And so that's the goal is to get to that perfection. And I won't get there this side of eternity. I know this. I'm part of a Wesleyan background tradition, right? Ongoing sanctification, all that. But I know that it's something to look for. 
And so when I feel like my own temptation or failures, like that's when I'm recognizing like, oh, I'm not being perfectly human here. Like I'm, I'm going the wrong way. And to be able to repent, to come back into that, all right, Christ is helping me become more like him. And I want to follow his example. So even when I'm, when I'm angry, is my anger justified? Because Jesus had anger. He expressed it. But is it because of injustice in the world or is it just because I'm annoyed? And more often than not, it's just because I'm annoyed. If I'm trying to avoid people because of awkwardness or just I don't know what to say to this person, Jesus never seems to avoid any sinner in the world. He avoided religious people. And so when I think about if I'm trying to avoid somebody, is it because I'm being too religious? Mm -hmm. Am I not embracing like the opportunity here for reconciliation, for healing? That idea like was one of the things that just kind of struck me just the last couple of weeks because there was a awkward situation where I was like, oh, I should go away from that person. And I was like, no, I don't have anything to fear. I'm going to go say hi. Like I'm not going to die. <laughs> and I didn't die when I said hello. And so that part of reconciliation is overcoming that awkward thing and saying like, no, Jesus would come and embrace this person, even though this person, we didn't leave on great terms, but like, that's not something where I want to stay with like that animosity, but to embrace the perfectly human. It was like, I'm going to go and have that awkward moment with that other human who's also trying to be like Jesus. I was just thinking when you were talking about Jesus kind of popping into the locked room and, hey, Mary, it's me, that some of those stories are so beloved. And I wonder if when you talk to people about that and you say those things, do they think that you're being sacrilegious? <laughs> yes. Yes. Because they are so beloved and we just kind of hold on to them. Do they think that you're being sacrilegious? There have been some who thought that, but I think... I'm just following the example of Jesus who took the Passover meal and said, hey, this bread, that was a reminder to you of God's saving work in the Exodus events. This bread is my body. That would have been very sacrilegious for him to, to reclaim that. But it's part of what we do in ministry is bringing a fresh perspective to timeless truth and helping our congregation understand that the gospel is more than just nice stories to tell at different times mm. of the year, but it's full of events that happened to real people and bringing the reality of these events to life. That is one of the great blessings for folks. When you are able to tell a story that people have heard a hundred times and help them see that, yeah, it's not just about them crying in a garden. It's about reconciliation. It's about a reunion. This guy was dead. And Mary thought she was never going to talk to him again. And the first thing he does is play a little prank. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus knew all this was going to happen, right? And so it was like, oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. Maybe that's probably sacrilegious. <laughs> but... <laughs> but to just like Jesus thinking through, like, I know Mary, like you're anointing my feet with the oil and all this stuff. You're washing my feet with your tears. <laughs> but then also saying like, I'm going to get you so good in a few days. <laughs> it's going to be so funny. 
Yeah, well, bringing the reality of, of the narrative and the fact it was a real thing that really happened seems like it's so incredibly important. I can still remember when history clicked for me in that way, that I was reading Justo Gonzalez, Christianity Volume 2, I think, which a lot of people, if you've been to seminary, you probably have read those. I have it right and there, you've actually. got it on the shelf? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's the so orange good. and the blue covers? Yes, yeah. Yeah. They're great. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Absolutely. I'll have to remember to share those as resources at the end, even though it's not necessarily about comedy. They're just fantastic resources for church history. But They are, for sure. But it was one of the stories of heretics being attacked, and this group busts into a second-story room and takes two men in there that they consider to be heretics and throw them out the window and they landed in a trash heap and so they were able to survive and to get away. And for some reason, that story, I saw it cinematically in my head and history just clicked for me. And it's like, oh, all this is real. <laughs> so you can imagine like the terror and then the relief and then potentially them like running away from there laughing because they had been saved by a trash heap, right? And so right. unlocking that aspect of our sacred texts, it seems like so critical because it's like this stuff is real. You know, it really occurred. And to reclaim that reclaims the nuances of interaction and context and relationship that are present in there if we look for them. Yeah. Like the Gospel of Mark, traditionally it is Peter's account told to John Mark, right? Like this is one of the theories of who Mark is. And it has been told to me, and I haven't done the research on this, but it is interesting if John Mark is that rich young ruler that is like, go sell everything and then give it to the poor and then come follow me. And so that's part of the tradition. I've also heard that the servant who runs away naked at the garden, I've also been told that's Mark because interjecting himself into the story in a way that is humbling himself. Like I was there, remember, like I'm that guy who ran away naked. <laughs> you know, those kinds of stories that are just thrown in the gospels. It's like, that's a weird thing. Why is that in here? Why is that in here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, being a Bible student, when I went to my undergrad, I was biblical literature. And one of my profs said, if it's weird, it's important. Mm -hmm. If it's weird, it's important. And my hobby from then on out reading scripture was look for the weird stuff, <laughs> look for the weird stuff. And like my favorite book in the Bible is Jonah. And it is the weirdest book. And my MA thesis was actually looking at Jonah as a satire. And there's all kinds of research around that. But the idea that like Jonah tells this whole story of, you know, running away from God, being swallowed by a fish, being puked out on the beach, and then going to Nineveh. And it's a three-day walk, but only doing one day walk in, saying eight words in Hebrew, and then leaving and then waiting for the city to be destroyed. And then complaining when it isn't. <laughs> like this is Jonah's story. No one told him to write that down. Like, nor does it say, and the Lord told me to write this and tell you, people of Israel. He chose to do it. <laughs> he chose to tell the story. Like, I am an idiot. <laughs> it would have been way easier <laughs> if I would have just done what God told me to do, but it wouldn't have been as interesting of a story. <laughs> so. yeah. And I love the scene where he sits under the tree and then it withers. It's just mm -hmm. like, that's just, yeah. that's perfection. That's comedic perfection right there. <laughs> yeah. And he complains, like the tree appears miraculously. Like overnight, like, oh, yeah. good, it's so hot. Look at all the shade. And then it withers. It's like, how dare this tree? <laughs> I love it. And I love how it ends. God is so, is like, are you for real? <laughs> what right do you have to complain about this tree I gave you? But then also looking at Nineveh, and they've got all these men and women who don't know their right from their left, even their animals. <laughs> it ends with that. Like, they're animals. The animals don't even know. Like, who cares about the animals? God does. 
It's like, I care about this whole town. So, yeah. We were talking before recording. We were talking about comic books. And I don't know if you'll keep this in, but somebody is doing a word-for-word comic book adaptations for different books of the Bible. And I have Jonah and Matthew. And they're awesome. They're still good. So. Nice. That naked guy in Mark has always been one of my favorite things to point out when I tell that story, whether I'm preaching it or teaching it. Because I'm like, especially when I'm talking about how the Gospels don't have to be exact replicas of each other, that Mm -hmm. each author puts his or her own twists in, like witnesses at a car crash. Everybody has a little different perspective. And I always say, like the naked guy when Jesus gets arrested, you know, (laughs) if you're the one whose cloth gets pulled off and you're naked, uh, you're going to remember that. That's going to be a very significant piece of that story for you. Yeah. You get home (laughs) and like your wife's like, where are your clothes? Where's your, yeah, where's your dog? <laughs> You're never going to guess what happened to me. First of all, I was a part of this party. That we we're going to go arrest the rabbi. Uh, things went sideways. His disciple, who's a fisherman, is like, now I'm a swordsman. I'm going to try to stab this guy, cut his ear off because he has such bad aim. Then Jesus just picks it up and puts it back on the guy. Okay, that doesn't know where your clothes are. Well, I, I panicked. <laughs> and then I ran away and they grabbed my clothes. Like, so, sure, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't you know it's Passover? You shouldn't be doing these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So Jason, beyond just finding the humor and the reality of life in the scriptures and sharing that, how do congregations embrace and make comedy, make humor a part of their community, a part of who they are. There are kind of two parts to that question. One is how do they do it? And two, what can they expect to see as positive outcomes of that? Yeah, those are really great questions. And part of the challenge is understanding that the goal of Sunday morning is not to be funny. Like, I don't think that's the goal. I do think there's way more humor available than we think in our Sunday morning. There's a lot more comedy potential. The comedy is a tool that ultimately the goal is to help people take steps of faith, to come closer into community, but also to come closer to putting their trust in the Lord. And so when we at Creekside, when we think about our service planning and those different elements, like part of it is like, is there a place where we can have a moment of celebration? And what can we celebrate? And, you know, we're not always great at this, but that's part of the thinking as we, even as in writing sermons, like, is there something in this text that we're working with that we can also point to a celebration of what God is doing in our community. Like how we can see like, look, this is a good thing that God is up to and we get to be a part of it. And so that's part of that. But if we're going to embrace those things, I think one, churches need to take themselves less seriously and pastors in particular and faith leaders because we're all people, right? One of my favorite children's books, Everybody Poops. It is so important to remind people like, and I don't think any healthy pastor really wants to be put up on a pedestal over people because we need people too. And so being able to be a person and, you know, make mistakes and be embraced and model what it means to apologize, to reconcile all those things, that's part of it. But we just want to be like normal people. So we have to take ourselves less seriously. But then also we have to pay attention to what's going on in the room, pay attention to what's going on in our community and look for the things that are absurd because that's the starting point for everybody's journey into humor is what do you think's weird? 
<laughs> what do you think's not right or not working and highlight that. But the goal is not just to belittle those things, but to think about like, well, how does that affect me? How does that affect you? And like, we find ourselves getting into like, like just nonsensical anger about something. Like, why? <laughs> why are we so upset about this absurdity? And that's where the humor is in, in getting into that. So like comedians like Jim Gaffigan, he's a great model of how to look at the absurdity, but then also say, the problem is me. The church I grew up in, there was, there was a lot of humor that was attacky at other people. Mm. And so different communities outside of our church, outside of our tribe, different denominations, like, well, they do this wrong, and like making fun of that, which is like a position of superiority, which is bullying, essentially. But somebody like Jim Gaffigan, like his jokes are, man, I am bewildered by this world. <laughs> and like, there's so many things that I love and there's so many things that are so weird and he's the problem. Another one is Nate Bargatze, who he just tells stories about his own weirdness and his family and his dynamics and like how he doesn't really understand the world. And so being able to be real is one of the ways that you can help open up that realm of humor. It's just like, I don't understand what's going on in the world. But then you give people that opportunity to at church to say like, you probably don't understand either, right? Like we're all perplexed by what's going on in our culture and in the world and these different events. And there is no perfect leader. There is no perfect organization and we're going to make mistakes as humans and we can hide them or we can say, well, you know, I was a real idiot this week and not to glorify my idiocy, but to at least say like, you probably are too. And let's all just try to follow Jesus together. (laughs) So, yeah. So it almost makes space for empathy. Like if you can laugh about the absurdity and our own part in it, it almost makes space for me to be more empathetic towards other people and a little less judgy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Shelly, I think that is a key piece is entering into a place of understanding requires empathy. And if you think you've got your life together, I've read this great book, it's called The Bible, and it reminds me over and over <laughs> again, you don't. You, know. <laughs> you don't have your life together. And extending grace to other people who are just like you, but maybe in a different way. That's such a key piece. And too much ministry is done at people and not with people. And I think humor is one of the things that can help people like have a withness. Like we're in this together. So yeah. Mm. Good. Huge distinction. That is just such a huge and spot on distinction. What? <laughs> that you said, like that so much is done. <laughs> oh. So much is done at people and not with people. Okay. That there's kind of this us versus them instead of realizing just because I'm sitting within the walls of this congregation doesn't make us an us and them. Right. That I need to be in the world. Yeah. Being Christ like as much as possible. Right. And even in your church, like pastors, do your people know that you are a person? You know, I really don't like when people call me Pastor Jason, partly because that was my youth pastor's name growing up. And so I prefer if they call me Dr. Jason. But um, <laughs> I tried to that joke on my kids and they did not laugh. So thank you, Shelly. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I wanted them, we live right next to their high school. And I was like, hey, if your friends come over, 
Like, I just want you to know if they call me Mr. Dooman, I'm going to say, that's my dad's name. <laughs> you can call me Dr. <laughs> Dooman. <laughs> and our house is very quiet. They don't bring their friends. I don't know why. <laughs> but, oh, that's great. Yeah, but I do think too much of the church is done at the congregation. And ministry really is with the people. And I love that Jesus had his with group, right? Those 12 disciples, they probably heard Jesus tell the same stories over and over and over again, but they loved him anyway. They probably heard him tell jokes <laughs> that didn't land. You know, he probably workshopped that plank guy story for a long time. And then they're like, oh, you got it, Jesus. Hold on to that one. Hold that, <laughs> so, yeah. But he was with people and too much of ministry is separated from the congregation. So you got to get out and be with the people and pay attention to what's going on and be curious about them. Like what's weird at your work? Like those kinds of things, like paying attention to your people and their lives is so key for unlocking the humor that you can bring into the congregation. So as we move to the end of this time together, Jason, where can people follow you, follow your work? Are there any social media sites or websites that they can check you out? Um, I do have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I'm not great at social media, but if you go to twitter.com slash J-D-E-U-M-A-N, that's my Twitter profile. And most things that I do end up aggregating to there eventually. So that's probably the easiest thing. And then I also have a YouTube channel where I, I do like quick reviews of different material like books and Bible studies that I make are available there. And that's just Jay Duman. So twitter.com slash jduman. And then, yeah, Facebook, just search my name. I'm the only one. I'm it. So if you just search Jason Duman, if I'm there, it's me. So gotcha. not a lot of clones out there or bots, <laughs> I hope. Is some thoughts along the way, is that you? Oh, yeah, that's my blog. That's really, really vibrant. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> So jasonduma.com is my blog. Yeah, I forgot that was the tagline. <laughs> so that's how that's how vibrant it is. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll make sure to put that information in the show notes so people can see your work and follow you. And we just really appreciate your time today, Jason. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your ministry to your congregation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to having you here in, uh, well, virtually, at least in Indiana, in June for some education events around this very topic. So Excellent. Thanks for being willing to do that. Yeah, thank you. I love talking about the church and I love talking about comedy. So it'll be a fun time. And I love that you put them together and it works. That's a good thing. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was super fun. Thanks, Jason. All right. Well, next up, Shelly and I will talk resources. Well, that was Dr. Jason Duman. We sure hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed speaking with him. Fascinating subject, fascinating guy. I was cracking up a couple of times when he was telling about how his, I'm assuming they're teenagers because he said he's right down the road from their high school, that his own kids don't laugh at his jokes. And even a guy who loves comedy, like dad jokes still fall flat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that he said he mentioned his dad as the one who spurred him on into, you know, the idea of humor. So 
I guess apparently not all dads are really bad with dad jokes. So that's good. Yeah, I wonder, it'd been interesting to see if he felt the same way as a teenager or if just now that he's older and has his own kids, if he's more appreciative of his father's wit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Something about dad jokes. This is a complete non sequitur, but something about dad jokes. I wonder if as we get older, we appreciate the cleverness of them that, I mean, yes, they are just puns for the most part, but but they are clever. So I don't know. My kids don't think I'm clever, so. It's they fun. will someday, Matt. They will. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what are some things that really stood out to you from that interview, from that conversation, Shelley? You know, one of the things was his comfort level with having a perspective about some of the stories in the gospel that most people wouldn't think about or hold. This idea that, you know, I think there are a lot of people who believe Jesus was funny and that Jesus joked and that Jesus laughed. But I've never heard anybody say, you know, hey, the story about having a plank in your eye. Yeah, I think that was kind of, you know, I think he was joking with that. Because can you imagine the damage you would do with that plank in your eye? Um, But I just thought his comfort level with it to be able to pull out what I'm sure was a side of Jesus that we just don't ever give time or credence to maybe. So I just really appreciated that. Yeah, because the idea of the interpretation of our sacred texts, we are raised in a specific interpretational mode, regardless of what faith tradition or faith background you are. We have different ways that we approach it, different ways that we understand it. And, you know, while some might look at what he's doing and be a little leery or scared about, you know, are, are you not taking it seriously enough? But I think what he's doing is he's just imagining the situation around mm-hmm. what was happening, which is a perfectly appropriate interpretive lens. Yes. I've heard of a type of meditation or scriptural reading called, I think it's Ignatian, mm-hmm. where you imagine, Do you are you familiar with yeah. it? Because maybe you can explain it better than I can. Yeah, so it's you read the text several different times, the same text, and each time you pause to reflect on different parts of it. So you can have guiding questions. Hey, this time pay attention to this, or this time around, what do you see here? So yeah, it just kind of helps you sit with the text a little more deeply. Yeah, and I've even heard of that being coupled with envisioning or imagining. Mm-hmm what's happening. So using your imagination to see, you know, the dusty ground or the rocks or the trees or what have you. And I think what Jason is doing is finding a way to bring it more alive because the words aren't necessarily just valuable for the words. They're valuable for the entire context that the words were spoken in. Mm -hmm. And getting to that means the scenario, the humanity, the humor, the drama, the anger, you know, whatever was involved and present in that moment and drawing that out. And, you know, we could be wrong. It's holding that loosely and not assuming that you are providing an interpretation that is exactly what happened, but at least it allows us to be a little playful Mm -hmm. with the text and playful with the scenario and potentially come to a better understanding of the truth that it's providing than what we had before. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think we tend to read the Bible kind of flat Maybe flat's not the right word, but we we tend to read it in the same tone, the same emotion. And so we treat it all like it's super serious. And I think he's coloring it with different emotions, different ideas, reminding us that the text is alive, that these are real people who lived real lives. Mm-hmm. And these are actual events that are taking place and that there was way more to it than just this kind of monotone seriousness throughout. Yeah. So I really appreciated that too. Yeah, there was a project around the Christian understanding of scripture called the Voice Bible by the Ecclesia Bible Society, where they actually brought in, I think, musicians and artists. And depending on the genre of the books, they brought in different people to help with 
the interpretation and understanding because the Psalms are music, right? They're songs. And so they wanted to bring in people who were artists and songwriters to try to bring a better understanding of that into the interpretation. So I thought that was an interesting project. That's really cool. I've never heard of that. That is awesome. Yeah, so we'll include that in the show notes for those of our Christian listeners who'd be interested in looking into that. But just a little bit of a different angle on scriptural interpretation that brings in people from different backgrounds, which I think is really interesting. That is really cool. I'm going to be looking at that. So actually, Shelly, why don't we go ahead and transition into our resource section. So we'll put the Voice Bible in there. And in transparency to our audience, we had a hard time coming up with resources (laughs) around this idea because, again, it's not something that is a common ask or a common conversation necessarily. But I think we found some good ones. So Shelly, you want to go ahead and start with one of yours? Sure. It's an article called Humor in the Church, and it is in a... I think it's a magazine, Pastor Resources, Helping Ministers Grow Healthy Churches. And it's an article in there by a man named Will Sharples. And so just an article on humor in the church. Cool. And yeah, we always love to highlight people who are practitioners who have written information from their perspectives. We think that's really helpful. Something that I found as I was sitting down this morning to record, Shelly, I remembered that I had a congregation reach out to me. It's been probably six years ago. And they were doing a retreat around joy and humor. And I was able to find the name of the presenter that they brought in. His name is Jeb Hostetler, and he's a professor emeritus at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. And he actually lives in Goshen. And I did find a YouTube video from him that is called The Joy Factor, where he presented at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. So we'll post that in the show notes. And there's also a transcription of that talk. And uh, Shelly, did you have anything else? I did. So I found an organization called the Center for Media and Social Impact. And they really deal with how comedy addresses social issues. And I know that's not specific to congregational life, but I think a lot of congregations are trying to tackle some of these social justice issues. And so I thought some of their articles were really interesting. They have something called a comedy think tank that just kind of helps people think about how do we creatively talk about social justice. And they have another one called a laughter lab where they take comedians and they pair them with social justice organizations. And together they write scripts that are comedic in nature, but tackle the social justice issue that the organization is working on. They talk about entertainment and popular culture, civic stuff, how we're using comedy to address all the political stuff that's going on. So I just thought they were a really cool organization. Center for Media and Social Impact is their name. That does sound really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so we will list all of these things in the show notes. And just a reminder that you can always check out the resources that the center has to offer at the CRG, T-H-E-C-R-G dot org. That stands for the Congregational Resource Guide. And on that page, we have about 2,000 of the best resources that we've identified on all kinds of aspects of leadership, facilities, discipleship, all kinds of things there. So you can check out the CRG, T-H-E-C-R-G dot org. So we would also love to hear from you. So if you want to shoot us an email at podcast at centerforcongregations.org, we would love to hear thoughts on future topics, future presenters, or if you have any feedback for us on our current episode, or maybe some resources that you're aware of around comedy and congregational life. And I want to send a shout out to Jason Stanley. Jason sent me some information a little while back that I'm hoping in a not too distant episode, we'll be having a recommendation that he had for us. So thanks so much, Jason, for that recommendation for a topic and a speaker. 
And we would like to thank the Lilly Endowment for their sponsorship of the Center for Congregations. It allows us to do all kinds of really great work in the state of Indiana and beyond to some extent with those of you that are listening to our podcast and those of you that attend the webinars and education events that are currently online. So thank you, Lilly Endowment, for allowing us to do this great work. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on. So that might be Spotify or might be iTunes. Rating and reviewing helps other people find it because it boosts us in the algorithm and then it gets recommended to other folks. Also, just word of mouth. If you find this podcast interesting and helpful, just mention it to people that you know that might also find the subject matter helpful. We would very much appreciate that. We also want to give a shout out to Jaden Lee, who is the editor of this podcast. Appreciate your work and making us sound great, Jaden. So we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. For the Center for Congregations, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Shelley Riggs-Jordan. Have a great day.